0: Hey guys, this episode of Broken Girl Unchained is brought to you by Kiara's Adult Shop. You can check them out at Kiara'sAdultShop.com and they're an online supplier for um, all your erotic needs, basically.
1: So if you're looking for something sexy or something kinky, definitely they have you covered.
2: I've <laughs> my your flower, watch me
1: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Juliet, and you're listening and watching to Broken Girl Unchained Podcast. And today's a very exciting episode because of two things. Number one is we just recruited Marissa from episode three, um, Matilda's Project. So she's going to be co-hosting with, with Mike and I, and um, we're excited to have her, as well as uh, we have an exciting guest, today. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Dr. Jenny Schuyler, Adam and Eve's own sex therapist. Hi, Jenny. How are you? Pleasure to be here. Okay. So let's just dive right in. Okay. So do you want to give us a little bit of
3: background? Uh, Sure. So I'm a certified sex therapist and a licensed marriage and family therapist. I run my business called the Intimacy Institute. I actually run it with my husband in Boulder, Colorado and we have a few associates and we offer clinical sex therapy for individuals and couples struggling with anything under the sun related to relationships and or sexuality. Um, and that's, th- there's a lot there to cover. I also serve as the resident expert for Adam and Eve, which is America's largest sex toy company. And so what I do for them is offer sexual health and education through print and online social media. That's that, fun. Yeah, it sounds super exciting. Right?
0: So what's the, is there a number one thing that the that, uh, couples come in? Or is it just, is there something that they come in more than others? I know that's probably a really generic question, but.
3: No, it's a great question. And, and for us, I've been in practice for about a decade, a little over that. And I, I'm not sure if it's just what I attract or if it's what most couples struggle with. My sense it's both. Um, But most couples struggle with desire discrepancy, meaning that one person wants more sex than the other and it's become a significant problem in their relationship.
0: That seems to be a big big relationship issue.
1: Especially for long-term relationships. You know, because I mean, you just get so busy, and then like, you know, for me when I was married, it was like, you know, my ex husband felt like he was entitled to it all, like every night or whatever. So it just felt like a chore at the end
3: of the day. Do you get that a lot? All the time, all the time. I mean, the majority of my population—I wouldn't say the majority, but yeah, yeah—the majority are heterosexual couples. Um, where man has higher drive than woman. That's not always the case. I definitely have queer couples, and I definitely have women who are having a stronger drive than their man. Um, so it shows up in different ways, but the majority, the dominant issue that comes through the door is man has higher drive than woman, and that's, there's biological um, validation behind that. You know, our biology is underwired by our our hormones, and so Men have more hormones in terms of testosterone that support the sex drive, inevitably. So, if you just look at the hormonal picture, they're going to have a higher sex drive. But it becomes a problem in the relationship because we want to have sex worth wanting. And if we're feeling smothered or we have a partner who feels entitled, it's going to be problematic.
1: Right. And as well as, I mean, does it get, how do you
3: solve something like that? Do you take more hormones? <laughs> so- <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. You know, it's a, it's, it's a very big question. Um, we're actually, my husband and I are writing a book on it. But it's, um, you've got to look at the whole picture, and the whole picture is ultimately, you're not going to make partner A with higher drive have a lower drive and you're not going to make the lower drive person have a higher drive. So it's figuring out what works for the couple in terms of that middle ground that A doesn't feel like obligation for the lower partner or B doesn't feel like frustration for the higher partner. And in order to do that, you have to also make sure that the emotional and sensual relationship is strong, is safe, Mm -hmm. is, is, is operating really well so that when we are not, in the bedroom, we're actually getting along well and we don't feel frustrated and we don't feel smothered.
1: So is demisexual a real thing? Sure. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's a short answer. right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I just know for me, I have to feel emotionally connected. Like everything has to be in harmony for me to you know, produce that drive. So I I just like, you know, and it's really hard for me to understand people that have casual sex as well, because it's like, how can you not have that emotional connection? And just, I mean, you're giving your body to someone. So it's just hard for me to connect.
3: Yeah. You know, the way I kind of look at it, you know, the terms have um, sort of bloomed in the past number of years, but for a lot of people, and it's so valid, to want to have emotional safety before you have sex. Mm -hmm. So, demisexual can be the term that you use, but having that emotional safety so that you can actually surrender and feel vulnerable literally, like naked, in the bedroom with someone and experience pleasure, satisfaction, maybe orgasm, there has to be that safety and you have to emotionally like that person. People who have one-night stands may not need that kind of safety, but they might, might not be using sex, and I don't mean using sex, but having sex from a place of emotional connection. They're having sex maybe from a place of validation. So the one night stand is validating. Oh, okay. Or just that release, right? Or I don't usually know. the release is easy through self pleasure. Yeah. It's, it's much harder to find another human to do that with. So to find another human, there's something else Driving that typically typically that validation
1: good information. Oh my (laughs) gosh. Okay.
0: Uh, you know, it's it's always it's definitely more enjoyable with someone there. That's for sure (laughs)
3: For for a lot of people it is a lot of people it's super stressful and they're stuck in a performance mentality of sex and then they get too anxious and then they Self-sabotage and they're like, "Ah, it doesn't matter. I self-pleasure is much easier. I mean, so when I talk about some of these couples where for instance the the woman wants more sex from the man it typically isn't his testosterone levels it's typically that he's stuck in his anxiety loop with performance oriented sex and he keeps self sabotaging with um erectile issues or premature ejaculation which for me i see as somaticized anxiety and then eventually he the man is just like it's not worth the anxiety it's not worth feeling like a failure so i'll just stop initiating or even saying yes to mm-hmm. invitations mm-hmm.
0: I think speaking as a man, I think we've all been down that road where we're just like, oh shit, no, no, not yet, not yet, please, (laughs) you know, and then you start, and then that's all you can think about, then it's just like, and then you're not even enjoying the experience because you're just trying to hold on. I think of that scene from, um, there was that movie with Ben Stiller where he's counting, and, and, yeah. you know, he's trying, yeah, I got to last five minutes. And he, you know, when he finally orgasms, it's like at 50 and he screams 50 and all this shit, you know, <laughs> and he wasn't even, in, I mean, he's got this beautiful woman with him and he wasn't even enjoying a, a second of it, you know?
1: Right. How do you do it? You know, how do you separate yourself from your clients and you know, sex being such a um, dominant feeling. I mean, that's a feeling, you know what I mean? And you're talking about this all day long. I mean, do you, how do you separate that? For me personally? Yes. How do I? um, How do you like mentally separate? Like, okay, well, I like, do they ever give you
3: ideas for things to try? (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes they do. Um, You know, most of my work is not telling people what position to do or, you know, what toy to use, they can read that online and get that in a book. My work is much more intricate and complex in terms of the underlying psychological foundations of what's happening for the individual or the couple. So for me, I'm much more in a psychological role in terms of being a therapist than I am in a sexual health role. I I definitely do sexual health and I definitely do a lot of psychoeducation around sexuality because there's a lot of myths out there and I like to deconstruct them and offer them science. Um, but it's super easy to separate it just because I, I don't know, I've I've been doing it for a long time right? and offering people, um, science and support feels really good so that they don't get stuck in their, you know, misery. Well, I think too, if you're in a
1: long-term relationship and the, the sex drive, you just, if one person has a higher sex drive than the other, then that person just seems not desired. Right. So then they start having that, those issues of self worth, and then they start exploring outside of the relationship. So th- th- at least that's my biggest fear.
3: Sometimes, you know, I, I think that you know, people who are wired to be loyal are wired to be loyal, no matter what. Mm-hmm. I've seen couples where they haven't had sex in years, and the man is super frustrated, but he is loyal and he is not going to cheat. I see other people where. Man has higher sex drive. He's not cheating, but the woman isn't interested in sex. But she's also not getting her emotional needs met, so she's having the affair to get that emotional need met oh. outside the relationship. Mm-hmm. So, you know, both people can potentially cheat based on what they're missing. And it's typically needs going unmet. Um, yeah. And it's common. That's Yeah, it is very common.
0: So tell us how you got started in the industry. I mean, it's 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 not something... I mean, you hear there's not a lot of sex therapists around. That's for sure. You yeah. know, we, we kind of, before you came on, we just did kind of a rudimentary search just in Northern California. And once you get outside of like San Francisco and stuff, it's like good luck finding one. Mm-hmm. You know?
3: Yeah, well, California actually has a ton. Um, you, you But they're more circulated in, the, in San Diego, in uh, LA, um, some in Monterey Bay. So you definitely have, plenty going on in California, but Northern California probably doesn't have that many. Um, And when you say sex therapy, it depends on what state you're in in terms of it being a licensed and protected term. Colorado, it's not very protected, so anybody can hang their shingles as a sex therapist, which for me is sort of terrifying because I see a lot of that and they're not clinically (laughs) trained, they're not licensed therapists, they're not certified. I mean, there's a lot of hoops to jump through to really be able to do this right, in my opinion. Um, But, you know, the ASEC organization, American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists has, I think, about 700 certified sex therapists oh. in the country, is my understanding. But yeah, in my town, there's only, I think, two or three of us who are certified, maybe, maybe four of us. Um, wow. But how I got started, yeah, it you know, short or long version. <laughs> yeah. um, short version is, grew up with my dad, who was a medical doctor, and basically, um it was. I was introduced to all subject matters, you know, in terms of like a scientific approach to include sex. So it wasn't this outlying subject, but it wasn't something that was forgotten. And it was just kind of there. And then when I went to high school, it was still there, but I realized my friends didn't have it there. So they'd come to my house for my books or my videos or education. And I realized, oh, I, I feel like I'm the Dr. Ruth of my friends. <laughs> You know, I kind of put that on the back burner for a while. went to college, didn't think I was going to do anything with it. I was in the vagina monologues (laughs) in college. Uh, I did write my own monologue, which was super fun at the (laughs) time that was allowed. And I did on female pleasure because that's missing from the vagina monologues. I uh, worked in human sexuality and kind of cultivated an academic path that blended psychology and sexuality to get all the letter salads I needed after my
0: name. Right.
1: <laughs> nice. Nice. I just, I love that. I love that. You know, like your, you kind of passed, well, your father kind of passed something over to you. You know what I mean? Oh, I got to talk louder. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> He's like signing to me. I'm like, huh? <laughs> I'm like giving her the
0: universal. Like, yeah. Like, what is that? A chicken or something?
1: Um, <laughs> so you want to um, answer maybe some questions? Are you sure? Okay, so I'm going to have Marissa uh, ask them, and then uh, if you can if you can hear me correctly or anything like that, um, or if you can't hear me correctly or hear her, then go ahead and just let us know.
2: Hi there.
1: Okay, so our first question that I'm going to ask you
2: is, I'm in a relationship with a married man. Been with him for a year and he asked me to wait for him because he can't just leave his house from one day to another. He has five kids, all young, but now I'm pregnant. He helps me financially, helps me buy a house, etc. But now it's not just a love game. Now I'm expecting a baby and I want to leave him if he's still with his life because it's mentally messing me up. I don't know if that counts as a question.
3: That's a predicament. That is for sure a predicament. Um, I, When I see this, I don't see the men ever leaving their wives. Uh, it just never really happens. It's a rare thing that they'll leave their wives. Sometimes they do, but if he hasn't left her in a year, he's not going to leave her now. She's got five kids. He's committed to his family. Right. Um, oftentimes for men like this, it's a Madonna whore complex uh, where he probably isn't having I'm going to go on a rabbit hole of assumptions not knowing anything else about this case but what's a Madonna whore? Yeah, I was just about to explain that. So often, t- and and again, I don't know his religion. I don't know his background. I don't know his relationship to sexuality. But oftentimes, and Madonna whore is a terrible term for this, but it's what we have right now in psychology. There's there's the Madonna, like um, Mary Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, um, the Madonna, and then there's the other woman, Mary, <laughs> the, Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, if yeah. you will. And, and there's sort of a psychological split in terms of growing up, knowing that don't have sex, it's dirty, it's for, it's like this bad thing. And so what happens is when you get, when, when men get married, men who have Madonna whore. they love their wives, they respect them, but they are the mother of their children. They are not someone to have sex with. They seek, I don't want to say whore, it's a terrible word, but. lack of language in terms of this complex um, they seek other they seek mistress for having that sexual pleasure because that's where they feel like it's okay it's dirty because it's not in my marriage I'm not soiling my wife and so it's forever separated in their brain and I'm not saying all infidelity that is constructed the way this woman's narrative is constructed is Madonna whore but it often is and so I usually advocate to Not try to get involved in that if you can. It's unfortunate that she's pregnant and she's got to go that route alone at this point. But she's probably better off because she's always going to be the mistress.
2: Okay, and what do you think about um, how, like, he's investing into her financially, um, home-wise, and now impregnating her? Like, what do you think? Do you think, like, it's something that she... So, pretty much you're saying, like, it's something that she should walk away from. Because it's never going to be what she really wants it to be. Because, obviously, he's not going to walk away from five children and a wife and now have a new child and family as well, right? Because it's more of, like, an escape. And now it's turning into a family
3: if she wants to have his financial support and have him on occasion as the second woman. Right. And that, and that's fine for her. If that's fine for her, then that's fine for her. So you believe
2: um, she'll never come first.
3: No, I don't think she'll ever come okay.
2: first. Yeah. That's and like if that's the okay biggest... for her,
3: then, then that's what she's got to swallow. Right. And like if, if she's willing she wants to, to stay. First, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So our
2: second question is, I think my girlfriend is peeing on my mouth on purpose and pretending like she's coming, but I think she's secretly laughing at me. Do all females do that?
3: <laughs> ah, I've never heard I've never heard of that so to um, to before
2: i before you yeah. answer that, so I had yeah. um messaged the male a little bit more. I got a little bit more information, and i asked um is she as you would say squirting and he yep. said. She does squirt separately, but it's different. So she actually is peeing. But his question is, is she? Is it something that she's doing on purpose, do you believe? Or is it something that is like Happen- happening as yeah. well with the squirting?
3: There's three things to, I would say to look at. One, he should taste his own urine and make sure that what she is expelling is urine. Right. Let's start there because he may be making an assumption without even knowing the taste of it. A lot of men have never tasted their own ejaculate, for instance. and sometimes it takes like Clorox, and they're surprised when they realize this. Um, so I would make sure that that is urine. Two, I would ask her, i mean, if if there is such intimacy that she is able to surrender in such a way that maybe she is peeing, maybe she's squirting or ejaculating, um, she feels very safe with this man to do whatever she wants, and he should, hopefully feel just as safe to ask her directly. Right. Hey, is this what's happening? Um, and is this on purpose? I mean, the third piece is why doesn't he trust her? You know, he, he thinks that she has ill intent and that she's doing it purposely and laughing behind his back. And my invitation to him is to look at what part of him is, is operating under this, um, umbrella of humiliation, right? He's, he's, He's perceiving that there's humiliation that may or may not be there. Right. Um, and and honestly, unlikely to be there because most people who are kinky and do BDSM and play with urine play, for instance, are very aware of it. They discuss it. They talk about the nuances of it. It's usually in a shower or not like randomly in the bed. I mean, it, there, there's a lot of context to it. And certainly there's a contract and a communication around it. It's not just, oh, here's an accident and I'm laughing at you. That's. That's not part of the
2: lifestyle. Yeah, I kind of feel like he should know. For one, like you said, mm-hmm. the smell. For two, if it's consistent or not, or if she's kind of laughing in his face about it.
1: Because it is mm-hmm. supposed to taste sweeter, right? Like a nectar, yeah. nectar of the gods, as you put yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, yeah, it's Rita. funny
0: when I heard that yes. question. I was thinking, man, this dude must be really young because it, it seemed like a, a like like a question that would get. That's someone just, you know, maybe starting out in new relationships or maybe with not a lot of experience. He's not
3: though. And you know <laughs> no? what? It's funny yeah, because. Mike, Mike, most of the, some of these men are, they're older, right? They, they, they have gone years just feeling mm-hmm. humiliated or operating as like a door bat or too much of a nice guy and they don't advocate for themselves. Um, and decades can pass like this.
1: And it's funny, too, because I was married for 13 years and I just heard about this maybe like a couple years ago. And I'm like, oh, I, I, am I supposed to be doing that? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but I wasn't having sex yet. I was just freshly out of my divorce. And so I, I, I don't know. So now that I've, you know, kind of explored a little bit more. Yeah. So it's a thing.
2: It's great.
3: No, no. Women squirt or ejaculate.
2: Most women don't, honestly. So you have to know your body. So the next question is, my boyfriend will eat my ass but not my vagina. Why? Ask him. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is my thing. So my biggest thing is, my question to you personally Why do men or women feel comfortable talking to other men or women about their own sexual problems, but not speaking to their partner, which is a person who could solve the problem? Why does that happen?
3: Because it's a very vulnerable topic. Okay. And it's very scary. And so it's actually a question around intimacy to ask that to communicate about sex, what we want, what we don't want, our boundaries, our fantasies, our fears, all of these really important communication pieces that we don't have with our lovers, whether they're short-term or long-term lovers, these are very difficult conversations for, I find, at least Americans to have typically, because sex is a taboo subject for strange reasons. <laughs> um, and and even though it's sort of hyperinflated in the media um, and it's all over the place, when we actually talk about it and talk about it when it comes to our personal life, that is so vulnerable and so intimate and we're not used to being safe in an intimate situation with other people, especially the person we should feel safest with, which is our lover. And that comes back to childhood of origin things where we learn intimacy and we usually learn it as something that's not entirely safe. And so then we project that onto our lover or our partner and, and it's not terribly safe. So when I do work with my couples, for instance, and you ask that first question, what's the most common thing I see? It's cultivating that emotional safety to be able to talk inside and outside the bedroom. I don't care what kind of activities they do. They can swing from the chandeliers or they could just hold hands. It doesn't really matter. What matters is their ability to feel safe to talk about all of it.
2: That's okay. a good answer. I like that. That is. Okay. So another question. Why do some people skip flo- uh, foreplay? Sorry.
3: Uh, I think a few reasons. Uh, one
2: Embarrassing. People don't know
3: how to do foreplay. It's a sensual intimacy that, again, requires that emotional safety to really drop in and be slow and tend to the entire body. We So there's that. We don't really learn about it. And then, two, for a lot of people, sex is just this transaction of the genitals. So it's like rip the clothes off, maybe a little kissing, but really let's move these genitals into each other and have our orgasm because that's what society has a script as what sex is you look at in hollywood that's what it is so sex is a transaction
1: what if you're texture sensitive you know like yeah i mean i know you know like a client of mine was talking about like she she has a problem with giving head you know what i mean and the the male ejaculating in her mouth it's like it's almost like she she rather not do it at all is that normal?
3: Uh, it's really normal. I wouldn't say it's probably a texture issue. Maybe she's saying it is, and maybe it is, but typically um, there's a taste issue in terms of what it tastes like. There's a gag reflex, and it just, it's, it's surprising, and it's um, unnerving for a lot of people. And then also oral sex, um, especially when we're giving – some activities can feel like a violation, and she may not be aware of that. But um, if she's had a past experience where someone sort of – pushed her or sort of forced her to give oral sex um, or made her swallow or made her take the ejaculate in her mouth, then it becomes this memory in her body. It's a body memory of mm. aversion. Gosh. So I don't know that it's texture, but it's definitely something to honor in terms of an aversion that she could work through or just tell her lovers, I don't take ejaculate in my mouth. Tell me when you're close to coming. I'll switch to my hand and we can find other ways. Right. Right. So, so
0: back to the, the foreplay issue, um, you know, I I was having this, this conversation with someone somewhat, I don't know, not too recently, but, um, Mm -hmm. and I was just talking about the, um, like for some people it's part of the total experience, you know, and it was just like, like, like the, the kissing and the touching uh, and, and all that other sort of stuff that goes along with it is all you know, part of the whole experience. And the person I was talking to was just like, you know, sometimes I I just, I don't want that whole experience, you know? And I think, you know, it it was interesting to see like the differences in, in how people approach it, you know, like where one person, their approach is, is, you know, from the time we, you know, from the time it starts to the time it finishes, like it's the whole, it's the, the, the whole experience. And for another person it's just it's not until everything heats up and, and people start going.
3: Yeah, I mean I would ask that whoever is saying that, right, I would ask them what they like about the sensual contact and what they don't like. I often find that most of my couples, for instance, move right quickly to intercourse or something you know, something that's gonna give them an orgasm extra quickly because they don't know how to actually sensually pleasure their partner and it feels embarrassing and invalidating to try and not quite get it right and again we come back to the communication if they're not communicating what do you like or they're offering what this is what I like then they actually feel incompetent and so we avoid things we feel incompetent at not because they don't feel good but because we're embarrassed Mm -hmm. and maybe it feels good and there's a different reason but that's what I typically find to be underlying those kinds of things or time you know sometimes we only have time for a three-minute quickie because <laughs> we have kids right and we're running out the door and the moment presents itself which is lovely but then off we go welcome to my life <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay so i have one more question going back to um taste since we have you here um is there you know taste Anything could mess up taste coming from lack of water, um, pre-workout to what you're eating. Is there anything asparagus? (laughs) Yes, for males, asparagus. That's very true. So my question is, can you name a couple things for women and men that they could possibly eat or drink to make that taste maybe a little bit better or keep themselves hydrated or... Whatever it is that they have to do to like have a better taste. Cause there's people who say, like a lot of I'm younger. Um a lot She's of She's
1: twenty-four.
2: Yeah, I'm twenty-four. <laughs> so like a lot of my friends that talk to me about all of that stuff will talk about taste. Like that's a very big thing. So my question is like to get back to like a normal balance of a normal taste, it should be.
3: So what's normal? What's the what's what's normal?
2: That's that's a good answer. Let's say it tastes good. <laughs> Tastes better.
3: But that's subjective. That's subjective. I like chocolate ice cream. My husband likes pistachio. That's subjective. very true. You can eat cauliflower, asparagus, and pineapple and have some taste, maybe, right? Just because we eat that, you know, what we eat goes into our stomach and gets digested in our colon. It doesn't necessarily get metabolized into our prosthetic fluid or into any of our lubrication um, fluids. Um, some people argue that it does, some people argue that it doesn't, doesn't, you know, personally, I doesn't really, I can't tell the difference no matter what my husband eats or drinks. I think the biggest thing for, um, and maybe other people are more sensitive to it and that's, and I'm just not as sensitive. Um, but I do think in terms of any fluid that's in the body to, to include our genital fluids, hydration is key. So being really hydrated Um, definitely helps just everything flow and and work well. I think that
1: maybe we should like create a, I don't know, maybe like a flavor (laughs) to digest or whatever, or I don't know, that would be cool. (laughs) They do have flavor.
3: Here's the problem though. Here's the problem with this, right? Is that now we're starting to go down a rabbit hole where we can, we can perpetuate anxiety. oh Oh, I don't taste good oh I didn't eat this tonight or I ate that tonight or I didn't take the enzyme that's going to make me taste okay and then we go I don't taste okay I'm not a valuable sexual being I'm just going to self-sabotage and not even go there right Right. so I'd rather I'd rather it sort of be you know if you don't like the taste switch activities and don't don't interact with it with the taste in your mouth it doesn't have to be in your mouth or spit it out. Right. That's what I just yeah. said. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, a lot of men don't, or a lot of women, a lot of people don't like the taste of vaginal fluids. Right. You know, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and oftentimes when I hear that, it's actually a biochemistry, like, like a, a pheromone piece that I had one person say that. He always knew when he was going to have a long-term lover by the way she tasted because he would go on dates and taste women. (laughs) And then Hmm. it just, it was like, oh, that's a bad taste. And it ended up not being like the long-term relationship of his life. But there might be a ceremonial piece for those who are really sensitive to it.
1: So let me ask you this. Is there a method to keep it nice and sweet and kind of inviting, you know?
3: Hydration. Hydration. Flavors. Hydration. Hydration and confidence. (laughs)
2: There you go. I
3: like that. (laughs) I mean, unless we're really just on a one-night stand looking for another set of genitals to put ours into or have inside of us or move around with, you know, then, then that's a different kind of scenario. But for other people, most people are not dating a set of genitals. They're dating the whole person. Yes. And so, you know, maybe your genitals taste one way one day and another way the next day. But, you know... I really try to advocate that we are so much more than our
0: genitals. I think it, it has to do with the the whole experience, you know. For for me, I don't care. You know, I mean, it doesn't <laughs> dirty it, dog. It doesn't matter to <laughs> me. Like this, it's something I enjoy. So it's just like, and if especially if I'm connected when I'm connected to the person I'm with, it doesn't matter to me. I just i i enjoy that whole the whole process and mm-hmm. and just knowing that whatever I'm doing is is pleasing to the person i'm with and all that other stuff you know it's it's it, 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 it's you know because i'm because i maybe because i have that connection you know then you yeah. know it's it's like having an ice cream you know uh,
2: <laughs> why do men ask for anal sex is regular sex not good enough
3: <laughs> ask that man no um <laughs> and, anal sex is popular i think because it's taboo right and there's is. an excitement, there's an erotic ex- excitement around things that are taboo. Um, it's definitely uh, an orifice that's tighter, typically, than a vagina or a mouth. Um, so in terms of tightness, uh, it's it's certainly tighter. Make sure there's lots of lubricant because it doesn't self-lubricate. Um, and, I mean, I think those are the two major reasons. Prostate gland, right, for males, Oh, right. Oh, I thought you meant for men who wanted to give anal sex versus receive. Yeah, that's, receive, that's, yeah men that ha- was the question. Was the question giving or receiving?
2: Giving. But I think she's giving. asking now about, um, I believe I've, girls don't have the same anal glands as males, right?
3: No, we, well, we don't have a prostate. Um, so there's that. But we do have the back wall of the vagina closer to the cervix. The wall that would share, it's not the front wall towards your belly button, it's the other wall that would be closer to the anus, and it's a little bit higher up, closer to the cervix. It's not right by the cervix. The vagina's actually not that long. So it's above the G-spot is what I'm trying to say, but below the cervix. Um, and not everyone has it, right? There's different. Everyone's wired differently in terms of our nerve endings and the sensitivity within our pelvic floor, but a lot of women have sensitivity in this area. And so they can access that spot Um, similarly, either through intercourse or, or through vaginal, some sort of vaginal contact and internal, internal vaginal contact or through anal sex or anal penetration of some kind. So it's not the prostate. It's the same pressing, um, effect as trying to help a man feel his prostate.
1: Okay. Um, I have a question from, um, a client of mine. Okay. So her cervix is actually backwards. So she has to lift her hips in order to get that climax. Now, is it actually backwards?
3: I've I've never heard of a backward cervix. I don't know what that would mean. um, Basically, you've got your uterus, and then the uterus closes out with the cervix. It sort of pinches down, and it it protects um, prolapse in terms of all your... Um, organs or your uterus, in this case, falling under your vagina. Uh, but what a lot of women have is a tilted uterus. A perfect, um, nothing's perfect, right? We're all we're all imperfectly perfect. Um, but it's 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 just tilted. So there's a shift in it, and um, it may throw off how the cervix. You know, I, again, I'm not a gynecologist or. Um, Really, a gynecologist might know the answer to that. So I don't know what's, <laughs> what's actually biologically or anatomically happening with the cervix in this case. Um, what I can say is if she's found a way to tilt her hips or have a liberator pillow, do you know those liberator pillows? We saw them Adam and Eve. They're, like a, those they're wedges. like a triangle. Yeah, yeah, wedge. Thank you. They're awesome. They're awesome for people with disabilities. They're <laughs> awesome for people who have different um, positional requests. Um, and so if she wants to lift her hips, that's a great way to lift the hips or just a few pillows so do you
1: think that i was thinking maybe kegels i'm sorry i couldn't get that out kegels
2: (laughs) nothing will move it though
1: yeah but if you squeeze it then you're
3: stimulating it
1: right that spot that g-spot area so
3: kegels kegels yeah but that's not where the cervix is the cervix is higher in the vagina it's all the way at the top um you know, so when you're you had a baby, right? You have a, a child? Oh, yeah. I have, I, have, I have a buttload of kids. <laughs> we have a buttload of kids. Okay. And did you give vaginal birth to them? Yes. Were they C-sections or vaginal? So when we gave vaginal birth, you know, we know when they say, you know, you're dilated to 10 centimeters. That's where the cervix is opening and the baby comes out. But even when your cervix opens, we still have to push. And that pushing is we're pushing it through the vaginal canal. What the kegel does, it's at the introitus or the opening of the vagina. And if you actually kegel right now and just sort of squeeze. I'm doing it right now. You'll feel it. And now you can. Good. <laughs> and then if you squeeze, you can kind of work your way up towards the cervix. Um, yeah, it goes higher and higher. Yeah. More. It's it blue. Um but it's going to strengthen all those muscles on the pelvic floor of the vagina, the, the the vaginal tone, those walls, more so than the cervix. Like I haven't heard of how to strengthen the cervix through kegels, but that's, I mean, I don't know everything. <laughs> but I do know that the kegels can certainly strengthen the pelvic floor muscles and, and the walls of the vagina.
1: I'm kind of getting turned on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it does, it
3: works. No, you should be. You know, I always tell I always tell people you are fifty percent responsible for your arousal and you lay there like a dead fish, you know, it's gonna be a lot harder for your partner. But if you oh, do no. for your peggles sure. and you breathe and you circulate your energy through and your you know that blood flow and energy and breath through your body, you are going to be able to turn yourself on. Absolutely. Mm. Glad you said that.
2: <laughs> I'm like ooh. So another question: I'm trying to date, but every time I try to date a girl, either they blow me off or they just see me as a friend.
3: Yeah. So is this a man saying every time he tries to date, they blow him off or treat him like a friend? Exactly. Um, I have no other context for this man. I would suggest to him. Oh, you do? So, yes, okay. I I More know context. the
2: person. Sorry. Um. Okay. He's a really good person. A really nice guy. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Very nice. Like I wouldn't want to nice. say too nice, but yes, too nice. Like not too nice, right? Like not um, not, not aggressive or assertive to balance the difference between respectful and like, hey, I'm trying to get at you.
3: Yeah. So for him, there's a lot of guys like this, and doormat is a terrible word, but I don't really have another word. Um, there's two books I like, actually three books. Hold on to your nuts. Not Nice, and No More Mr. Nice Guy. Those are three great books for guys who are, and it's a good thing that they're nice, they have empathy, they have kindness, they have compassion. We're not looking to eradicate those things. What we're looking to do is cultivate healthy masculinity mm-hmm. and inner competence that allows for outer competence. I don't mean peacocking. What he's probably wanting to do is avoid the toxic masculine peacocking that's really in, just an in, inflated hyper-confidence that's really not valid. There's nothing inside, really. Um, So there's that type of masculinity. And then there's sort of doormat. I'm really nice. I'm going to do a 180 degree swing from from that guy from the peacock. And what really men like this need to do is, yes, take some take some tips from from the assholes, if you will, but not because they're just trying to fake it till they make it with confidence, but they're trying to cultivate inner competence. What is he actually really good at? Where is he super competent? Where can he cultivate hobbies or passions or skills where he feels competent so that he can actually practice those skills, maybe woodworking, maybe soccer, maybe doesn't really matter what it is. Find something he likes or a few things he likes, get really good at it so his competence feels elevated and therefore his confidence can shine through mm-hmm. and therefore when he's interacting with women... He's not in that doormat position. He's actually operating from a place of healthy masculine confidence. And the books are super helpful too. Again, Not Nice is one book. Hold On to Your Nuts is another book. And No More Mr. Nice Guy is a third book.
1: Now, I have a question. So what about these serial cheaters? Like, what if like, you know the the narcissism and stuff like that, do they aim to hurt people and they use it, they use sex as a tool, you know, to
3: hurt other people or to, you know what I mean? You know, they don't, they're not in contact. I look at it really differently. I don't really use those diagnostic labels because they don't really help the person heal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I come from a position of sort of internal family systems that we all have parts of ourselves. And some of these parts are really, um, guarded or even broken is the wrong word, but really guarded and really um, not functioning well for us. And so with serial cheaters, there's a part of them that's basically it's looping. It's sort of like, um, um, I don't know, like a roller coaster that's just looping and looping and looping and the person hasn't pressed the stop button for the roller coaster to keep looping. And so they keep looping in on themselves with this thinking they're trying to get it right. I don't actually think they're trying to hurt their primary partner. They are just trying to fill a hole inside of themselves that they can't fill by cheating. But they think they can. So they're sort of addicted to it in a way. um, And they keep kind of doing that until they get into contact with what's that hole and what's that hole really about and what's that soft, vulnerable part underneath them that actually needs to be tended to with compassion and heal. Otherwise, we just keep spinning. Right, It's kind of like alcohol addiction. It's just with people.
1: Now, what if they don't have empathy? Well, not that. I don't think they have empathy, but I don't know. I'm not a doctor.
3: Yeah, you know, for people who look like they don't have empathy, even like sociopaths, you know, it's a great question of if they're with the right therapist who can really like find the shield when people don't have empathy or when they look like sociopaths or are sociopaths or are murderers, you know, it's sort of like their shield I'm going to do like this pretend shield like their shield is so big their shield over their heart and over their all of themselves is like I'm going to protect myself from getting hurt and 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 this is how I know how to do it I just block the world out Mm -hmm. I don't connect in fact I'm going to go to these extreme lengths to do things that harm and self-sabotage myself Um, you know Committing a crime is a self-sabotage, right? Right. People know they're going to be self-sabotaging when they do a crime. And so it's like it's such a reaction to protecting this very, very, very hurt part of themselves that probably just actually wants to be connected to and supported, but they cannot touch that yet, right? So they do all these things. They have, like, layers of shields. And so that's what it looks like when we have no empathy or we're a sociopath. It's just layers of shields. And if they can work through those layers of shields, and again it has to be the right therapist, to get to through them, to get to the soft spot, there is potential to heal. Yeah. Now, not everybody wants to because they're you know, in they, denial. They're, <laughs> or or they've found shields that are socially acceptable enough. Gotcha. And they can work through life and kind of just work life through with their shields on. There's yeah. always collateral damage though.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, okay, I think Mike has some questions.
0: It, it seems like, you know, uh, uh, working with couples and stuff like that, what advice do you have for, for some of those couples who are looking to, um, you know, change things up? You know, especially couples that have been together a long time and they're looking to kind of get outside of the routine. Like, what do you do with them when they when they just come in and say, you know, things are they're not working or it's dull or whatever, you know what I mean? They kind of try to, I'm sure that's a common question too, to kind of renew that, that spark, you know?
3: Yeah. I mean, a few things we, you know, if they're, if the rest of the relationship is in good health, if you will, and, and, and safe and intimate, um, I would say what feels boring, you know, what are you doing that feels boring? Um, because usually boring. I find that when people say they're bored, they're bored by the transactional sex they're having in the same routine way. And they're actually not doing a deeper layer of intimate connection. Because even if it's the same position in the same way, but we're doing it with this idea of really deeply, intimately connecting heart to heart. Like I call it heart centered sex. If it's coming from that place with our whole mind, body and soul, People aren't usually bored. They feel really connected and seen and held and visible, and and it's it's great. So it may look like the same sex act over and over and over, but those kinds of couples don't find that they're bored. I find that the couples that are bored, it's the same transactional routine, and so what we want to do is get them into heart-centered sex. If they are in heart-centered sex and they're still bored, then let's keep talking about different fantasies that have, not yet been discussed or manifested and what feels safe to kind of explore with you know some people explore with lots of toys some people explore by going to clubs and watching other couples have sex some couples you know open their relationship a little bit you know it and that's not for every couple by the way Um, most couples do it not so skillfully Um, so it's really about exploring those different components
0: so you mentioned toys so you know while we have you and we've had a couple people ask about you know getting started like where to start what's some good toys to start with Mm -hmm. you know especially as individuals as couples that sort of stuff what are some of your um personal favorites i guess personal recommendations
3: it's such a stylistic thing i know it's such a trite answer but i i find that finding the right toy is like right finding the right pair of shoes everyone wants a different style Everyone's a different size. You know, my advice is usually, like, go online or definitely go to a store if you can because then you can see it and you can feel it. You can really experientially interact with it and see what you're attracted to because your intuition will lend you towards what you what you would probably like, Um You know, some toys like the Hitachi wand are awesome for people who are anorgasmic, but it's way too much sensation for people who are highly sensitive. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people like the um, Wee Vibe, which is for couples, heterosexual couples in terms of like, it's that like U-shaped one. Other couples, you know, the penis is too big or the vagina is too short and it doesn't work for them. Um, You know, a basic clitoral vibe is You know, just a little vibrator, a small vibrator is always a good beginner kind of toy. It's also great to travel with. Um, A cock ring with a little vibe on the top is always good. Um, I think a a beginner sensory kit or a beginner like bondage kit is kind of fun. You can play with covering your eyes. You can play with some scarves or some handcuffs if you're kind of into that. Um, There's a lot, at least on our website with Adam and Eve, there's a ton of big, they like label it beginner stuff. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can find beginner materials that way. Gotcha. But again, I would say you have to be attracted to it. You're not going to buy a t-shirt or a dress that you're, you're like, oh, I don't like it. You're going to be like, I have to like it on the hanger on my body. Right. Now, you can't try it on in the store, obviously. So <laughs> we
1: advise you don't. <laughs>
0: well, well, I guess you can if you don't want to go back to that store again. Right. But, <laughs> you know, I don't see yep. that happening. What's what's yeah. one of the biggest sellers for single women? What, what, are, they, what are they buying the most? Mm-hmm.
3: I think the Hitachi one, the more updated, like not the one that you have to plug into the wall and keep plugged into the wall. They're sort of the portable one. It's a little bit smaller. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it's, it's been the classic. It's been the first vibrator around since the days of vibrators. That's what Betty Dodson made famous when she really brought self-pleasure to the forefront. And so many women have this vibrator. It's sort of tried and true and a great a great one to have. The rabbit's also really popular. A lot of women love the rabbit. Sex in the City made that popular. I mean, it's sort of like what has media made popular is also
0: what sells big. Now, do you think typically. that's partly with because um, media's made it popular, so it kind of destigmatizes it, and it's it, it gets rid of that mm-hmm. social taboo, and it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, um, I don't even know the, the girls from Sex in the City. Charlotte or Samantha.
3: They, yeah, you know, yeah, They use it. well oh, they used use it, too. so yeah, yeah. I, right, I dig exactly. that show. Funny story
0: about yeah. the Hitachi wand. I was probably... 11, 10 years old in, at a friend's house. And I'm like, oh, I want to try like, oh, look at this great back massager that your mom has, you know, (laughs) and she came in and she started freaking out. And I'm like, and it wasn't until years later that I was, I was like, oh, I know what that is now. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) I wanted to ask you because I, I'm on a mission to help women, uh, feel confident you know and to bring out their confidence a little bit more and what i found after my terrible marriage (laughs) um was lingerie like Mm -hmm. it just helped me so much just to feel confident with myself and to i don't know maybe relax a little bit more in the bedroom or whatever is that common? or I mean, does that do you have any tips for women that need that confident boost?
3: You know, it's a similar question to the doormat guy, you know, that keeps getting keeps getting rejected or told he's a friend. It's about finding what makes you feel confident. right. And for you that's lingerie. for a lot of women, that's lingerie. A lot of women, it's different clothing they wear out in the in the world in terms of feeling, empowered and sensual or sexy um, and what what type of skin they show and what type of skin they don't show um, or how they style themselves. So, you know, no matter um, our gender or genitals, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of find what makes you happy and then get good at that and really, because that's where your inner confidence will show. And confidence is the biggest aphrodisiac. Mm-hmm. And so if you feel good about yourself, you're going to turn yourself on. You're going to turn your partner on. It's going to just work well. So if you yes. like lingerie and you love how you look in the lingerie, rock it. Yes. And on that note, I actually have to go because I realize what time it is. Mm-hmm. But thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank, right. you thank you so much. Thank you very much for coming Thank on. you. Thank you. Thank you. It was a
1: pleasure My having you. My pleasure. You, <laughs> you have My yourself pleasure. a yeah, wonderful thank you. day. Thank you again. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Take care of both of you. Bye. All three of you. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Okay. Well, Thank you, Dr. Jenny Schuyler.
0: Right. Um, good interview.
1: Yeah, good interview. What did you think, Marissa? Very
2: informative. Um, very helpful. I feel like she's more of like a therapist. She is a like therapist. A, yeah, I know. But I mean, like we talked more about like inner, like if it would have been nicer if we had more of like a background of the questions of what they're asking, that way, she could dig a little deeper and give us more of an informative. Yeah, she's know.
0: very clinical. Uh, you could tell yeah. that she's she's a, a true therapist, and not just someone trying to tell you, okay, hey, lift your leg up a little higher, or you right. know what I mean, like yeah. okay.
1: Which is amazing. Right?
2: Yeah,
0: she
1: right? she gave me, I mean, a lot of personal, uh, pers- you know, put a lot of personal perspectives. Um, she just pointed me in the right direction. And um, what about for you, Mike? What does she do for you?
0: Yeah, I thought it was. I think she just reinforced some concepts. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would, did she
1: tell you something she didn't that you didn't know?
0: Not necessarily, but it was just the way that she presented it, and, and I think the, um, the whole psychological aspect to some of these things, mm-hmm. like, um, confidence. Yeah, like being yeah. confident or just
1: being confident. Being comfortable and feeling safe, I think, is the most three components that is going to help ha- help you have that mind-blowing
0: orgasm. Well, and what I really liked was, and it's, um, I like the fact that she was talking about, you know, when when everything in your relationship's firing off, then your sex life should be pretty incredible too, right. you know? And I think we've all been down that road where a relationship's not working or it's 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 in a rut or whatever it is, and you know your sex life tanks too, and then it it becomes like stacked problems. You yeah, know? it's like it's just oh,
1: like layer after layer after right. layer. And then when you get in the bedroom, you're just like
0: you're like meh.
1: I don't know. It's I I haven't hit that, but <laughs> <laughs> the meh. I don't know. I, I I I don't talk about I don't I don't talk about my um personal life, but. I've n- I haven't hit that. yeah. I've okay. been excited all week to speak to her because I wanted to get some of these questions answered for some of our listeners and I wanted to have Marissa on the show and um, we've just we had a good episode day.
2: Like I said, it was very informative. Um, I'm pretty comfortable with myself sexually so it wasn't more for me. I feel like it's a lot of answers that i already knew yeah Yeah. but there's a lot of people like she said who don't Mm -hmm. have an outlet or don't know where to go to find these answers to their questions so hopefully they'll feel a little bit more comfortable to realize you know this is everybody has sex so
1: Well, and this is the thing too. It's like there are people out there that have been in long-term relationships and it's just, it becomes so stagnant. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And so um, once you get out of that relationship and you're in another one, everything seems so new Mm -hmm. and some of it seems uncomfortable. Some of it seems like, oh, oh my God, this is what I've been missing. And, or it becomes... I don't know, too uncomfortable that you don't want to even want to go there. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think there's a, just a, a mixture of emotions um, when it comes from that aspect like mine. You know what I mean? Right. Where it was, he was just so fucking robotic that even after my marriage, I was just like, oh, cool, this is what I'm fucking missing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, wow, you know, it was mind blowing. But um, yeah, that should... That she helped clarify a lot.
0: Yeah, and hopefully for our listeners out there, hopefully you guys got some of your questions answered as well. Hopefully they it was informative and they learned something.
1: And Marissa, I always enjoy you on the show, and um, yeah, so we'll be seeing a lot more of you.
0: Yeah, yeah you guys will be seeing a lot more of Marissa. So a lot more great and addition to the show. A
1: great addition. I have, I think I have a good team. You know, I have Mikael here. We're all right. <laughs> <laughs> so and I then I have Marissa. And um, I, I don't know. Should, should I call you Matilda's mom? I always call you Matilda's mom. I, I, I don't think,
0: know. I think Marissa's fine.
1: <laughs> he wants me to stop calling you Matilda's mom.
0: Well, well, not stop. I but mean,
2: it you don't have to completely stop. I mean, like. Does it bother you? No. Like, you okay. say my name, but then you say that. So it doesn't bother me. Like, okay. I know I'm, you could differentiate who I am as a person versus, mm-hmm. like how people know me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like, now they know both. Right. There you so go. it's good. So do you feel and comfortable? because I want, I want to keep her memory alive. I want everyone to remember, like I do, I, I do have a baby still, but she's do. just in heaven. Yeah. But people know me as Matilda's mom. Yeah. And people also know me as Marissa. Right. I was about to say Matilda. I know, I always do And that. then a lot of people don't even know my real name. They know my Instagram name. They call me Marilena. And I'm just like, wow. You don't even know my real name. That's interesting. So, I
1: mean, if you wanna want if you wanna I... call me baby girl, go ahead. Baby girl. <laughs> so I'm going to sign off with doing some Kegels.
2: Uh oh. I've been doing them. <laughs> <laughs> Why are pee. your shoulders moving? Oh, I, don't know. That's I what just I thought go.
0: Jesus Christ. Call hey. Guinness longest vagina in the fucking world. Oh
1: my God, Mika. <laughs>
0: sorry, sorry. I couldn't resist oh, you. You
1: motherfucker. And we're
0: not cutting that. that out. That's no, staying oh in the my podcast. That's staying in the so podcast. So
1: anyway, until <laughs> next time, this is Broken Girl fucking Unchained. Take care. Bye. Bye.